And so they start off talking about water and living water. And Jesus saying that his living water can quench thirst. And then they start talking about worship in spirit and in truth. And right at the end of the conversation, just as it's ending, this lady says, but I know when the Messiah comes, then he'll tell us everything. And Jesus says what? I who am speaking to you, I am he. And there Jesus reveals to this lady that he's the Messiah. And I want to just camp there this morning before we go on to the next part of chapter 4 next week. But just explore this idea that God is a God who reveals himself. God is a God who loves to show himself to us. He's a God who longs to be known by us. And it's throughout the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, if we just look quickly back at the last few months as we've gone through the first three and a half chapters of John. In John chapter 1, Jesus reveals himself to Nathanael. Philip brings Nathanael to Jesus, and Jesus says, as he's arriving, he says, Ah, here's a true Israelite in whom there's no guile. In other words, there's nothing false in him. Nathanael says, Well, how do you know me? I don't know if he thought he was very righteous, but anyway, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, the, the Bible doesn't tell us more than that, but something significant must have happened to Nathanael under a fig tree that no one else knew about, but God did. And so when Jesus says, ah, but I saw you under the fig tree, Nathanael's response is this. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. There was this personal, specific Mind-blowing revelation that Jesus knew Nathaniel's circumstance. And if you watch The Chosen, you'll see they kind of speculate what that could be under the fig tree. John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding. Can you remember who saw that miracle happen? It was Jesus' mother and the servants. Yeah? Jesus reveals that he can take something simple like water and transform its nature radically to something quite different. Do you know how many molecules or different kinds of chemicals are in wine? Any guesses? Water is H2O, right? One molecule, one type of molecule. How much in wine? Six, no? Like between 800 and 1,000 different molecules. Jesus transformed something that was boring and everyday and turns into something that's used for a celebration, full of joy. He turns the, the average into the extraordinary. He transforms the nature of that thing. He reveals himself. And, and the servants who saw it happen, they were blown away. They were floored. They saw it happen. They filled the water jars with water. They saw it come out red. The master of the feast... Well, he was impressed because, you know, who brings out the best wine right at the end of the party? He didn't know what had happened. The guests were none the wiser. They, know, knew, they knew no different. And the couple who were getting married, probably the, the whole point of this miracle was that they didn't lose face, that their party didn't flounder. They probably didn't know about it at all. Jesus reveals himself as someone who can transform. John chapter 3, Jesus reveals himself to Nicodemus, this scholar, this learned man, this intellectual, this teacher, and he reveals that the way that you enter the kingdom of God is not by observing the rules, it's not by following the laws, it's by a new birth. 
is a spiritual process. We're born from on high and we enter this kingdom. He reveals that, he says, when I'm lifted up, like the snake was lifted up in the desert, he's saying that I'm the way to eternal life. He reveals the way of salvation to this learned man, this teacher. John chapter 4, as I said, Jesus reveals himself to the Samaritan woman, and she's a social outcast. Think about that. She's a social outcast. She's from a despised minority, and she's shunned by her community because of her sinful life. And Jesus reveals himself to her. He talks about living order and how there's this ache and this deep yearning inside every one of us to be satisfied in God alone. And how everything else we try is going to lead us dissatisfied and empty and hollow inside. He says that he can provide this spiritual water, this living water, and that he's the Messiah. And the Gospels are packed full of these, these moments, these encounters between ordinary people like you and I and Jesus. They happen over and over. It's because God loves to reveal himself. He wants to show who he is to you and I. He wants to be known. He wants us to know him. And it's because we're made in his image. Unlike every other creature in creation, we are made in the image of God. We're made for him, and therefore we're made for relationship and knowing. And the only way you know someone is if they share something about themselves and you can learn about them. It's called a relationship. It happened all throughout the Old Testament too, and we're not going to go through the many, many accounts, but just a few to remind us. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, the patriarch, he's standing outside one night looking at the stars. Maybe he's having a nightcap, I don't know. God comes to him and he says, look at the stars. I'm going to surely bless you and make your name great, and your descendants will be as numerous as the stars you're looking at. Amazing revelation of God, the one who blesses. And then 10 chapters later, we see Abraham with the promised son, with Isaac. The fulfillment of God's promises happening in his life. And God says, please sacrifice your son. Not going to go into the story, but as Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, angel of the Lord stops him and says, ah, I see that you're faithful. I see that you obey me. You haven't kept your son from me. And there's a substitute, a ram that's stuck in the bushes. And what name is God given then? Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. On the mountain of the Lord will be provided. God reveals himself as provider to Abraham. The one who blesses an amazing legacy, but the one who will actually provide for that legacy. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, it's just an amazing portion of scripture. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and the, the train of his robe filled the temple. And, and Isaiah is so overcome by this glory that he sees. It's like a vision, I think. And the power of God and his holiness that he falls down as though dead. And he says, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. This revelation of God's majesty and glory and holiness undoes him. And he's different because of that. And it goes on and on throughout the Old Testament. And the fact is God hasn't changed. He's still a God who wants to reveal himself and show us who he is. That's his nature. And like all these moments, these encounters, they're all different, if you noticed. Everyone's, there's not like, okay, 
There's not like a formula every time God shows himself to someone. It's different, it's personal, it's specific, it's, it's unique. And so when God reveals himself to us, it's unique, it's different, it's personal, it's specific. It changes our lives. At one point, Jesus speaks about drawing water out of a well, and then he talks about the spiritual birth, the stars in the sky, a fig tree that Nathaniel was sitting under. And God reveals himself to you and I in our context so that we get it, we understand. I'm going to share one story that's very personal to me about how God has, has seen me in that way. I could share lots. I'm going to share one only. Before I became a Christian... I got saved at university. Uh, I grew up in a home that we didn't go to church. But one of the sports that I did at high school and university was target shooting. And um, I represented South Africa for under 21. I used to shoot in the UK. I won the British National Championships. Uh, in one of the disciplines, I competed in the Africa Champs, and I placed eighth. And I actually qualified for the Olympics that year. It was 2004. And... As a shy, introverted person, having something that you're successful at, that you're good at, it really gives your personality a courage and a boost. It kind of defines you. It works its way into your identity. And so I'd had this measure of success in the sporting field, and then I got saved. <laughs> and I started following Jesus in 2004. And I went to an equip, in those years equip was for the whole of South Africa, for the relating churches, and it was in Bloemfontein. And so on the drive back from my very first equip, as a, as a new believer, I felt like God challenging me and saying, you're spending all this time shooting, and well done, you're doing great, you know. But you could also spend more time with me, and you could grow your relationship with me. And I felt like God kind of offering me a choice. He wasn't saying that the sport was bad, he never said that, but he's like, I think you should choose, Glendon. And, and I, I felt like I had to choose between these two things, and I, I stopped shooting. I laid down that thing that was most precious to me at that point. I laid it down, and I redirected my time and my effort into going to life group on a Wednesday night and going to prayer meeting and going on mission trips, etc. And I didn't tell anyone in the church that I was in what I'd given up, what I'd laid down, and the, and the sacrifice it cost me, the pain that it cost me. And then uh, about nine months later in the church that I was at in KZN, they did a, an outreach course, a 10-week course called the Alpha Course. You might have heard of it. It's an evangelism kind of tool. It's done in a church setting. There's like 10 weeks. And I signed up to be one of the table assistant leaders like entry-level kind of, my first, God's going to use me in something. And so the, 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 the church prayer meeting the week before this Alpha course started, they called everyone forward who was going to be leading a table or assisting. And so I came forward and they prayed for us. And I hadn't told anyone what I'd given up the year before. And one of the guys who prayed, his name was Ed Alexander, he says, Glennon, while I'm praying for you, for this table that you're going to help lead, I see a picture of a gun and a bullet firing out the gun and it hitting the target. And I feel like God is saying that your words are going to be like that bullet. They're going to hit the bullseye in people's hearts. And he didn't know. It's amazing. I didn't tell him either. I was too like overwhelmed. I was in tears. God had spoken. It's like, I saw you under the fig tree kind of moment. You know, that was 2005. 
Fast forward 17 years later, last year, 2022, myself, Terry, Vasen, Albert, we'd gone away on a pastor's retreat with a whole bunch of other pastors from around the country to the wild coast, most of which we didn't know, just to get away and hang as pastors. There was a guy from a church in Potchefstroom. His name was Chris Moss. Never met him before. I don't tell my story like I'm telling it now. He challenges himself, Lord, can I have a prophetic word for every pastor on this retreat? I didn't know he was doing that. What do you think he wrote for me? Dear Glendon, I was praying for you, and I saw a picture of a bullseye, and you shooting. And I feel like God's saying, hold steady in the Lord, and you'll hit the target. It's like, this is God. He loves to reveal himself. And it's specific. J.R. Packer, he says this. He says, once you become aware that the main business you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Amazing, hey? Who was the person in the Bible who spent the most amount of time with God? Like, like face to face. Any guesses? Moses? The front row say Moses. Any other offers? Abraham, disciples, oh, okay, well, okay. I was going with Moses in my preach. Moses spent 80 days face-to-face on the mountain, two sets of 40 days. That's nearly three months, okay? Exodus chapter 20, we'll turn there in a moment. The Israelites have come out of Egypt. Uh, they've gone through the Red Sea. And they've been walking in the wilderness for three months. They're still early on their 40-year journey. But for three months, they're walking through. And God wants to meet with Moses on Mount Sinai. And so he, he, there's these clouds over Mount Sinai. There are, there's lightning and thunder. And God says to the people, don't go and even touch the mountain. It's, it's like holy. And so Moses goes up the mountain and God tells him some stuff and he goes back to the people and he says, don't touch the mountain, you'll surely die. And, he, and then he says, will you follow God? Yes, we'll follow God. He takes back, there's like to and fro for a little bit in Exodus 20. And then they get really scared. They see this dark cloud. The earth is shaking like at 2.38 this morning. And they get scared and they say to Moses, we don't want God to speak to us. In fact, we want you to speak to us. Let's read in Exodus chapter 20 from verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. But the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So Moses spends 40 days in the presence of God. 40 days face to face. No one else has had that. Do you know when he got the two tablets, the Ten Commandments? Right, right, right at the end of the 40 days. In other words, there was 40 days of him probably flat on his face in awe of God, but talking to God, building this relationship, having revelation, and then 
the laws given. And then these tablets appear, the Ten Commandments inscribed by God Himself. And what happens? Moses emerges from the mountain and the clouds 40 days later. His face isn't shining at this point. It's the second 40 days where he starts to glow. But he comes down the mountain with these two stone tablets. And what happens? What does he see? People are worshipping another god. They've, they've melted some gold and built a calf, a golden calf. Moses is so upset, he smashes the tablets. Why? They've found themselves another god. The one that they were serving was too scary. They thought they would get a new god. Aren't we quite quick to do that? When our current god isn't working out for us. Don't we want to upgrade improve, new model, change. The one that we want, the one that I want is more loving and kind. He's more accepting. He's more tolerating of all kinds of different views. The God I want to worship, he's not so strict, full of rules that I have to obey. So we manufacture, the Israelites manufactured their own God. But here's the thing. God wanted obedience to follow after Revelation and relationship. God wanted our following of Him and our serving of Him and our obeying of Him to come after there's a relationship with Him. It's why Moses got the tablets at the end of the 40 days. There was 40 days he could learn about God and get to know Him and have a relationship and have revelation. And then God gives the rules. But what happened to the Israelites? They didn't have 40 days like Moses did. They just got the rules. Moses went up a second time for 40 days. This time God said, hey, I've given you two tablets. You bring your own this time, but because like he's, you know, Moses had some consequence to his smashing the first two. But he had to bring his own that he had to write on. And on his way up the mountain for the second 40 days, Exodus 34, he says to God, now show me your glory. It kind of precedes the, the 40 days, the second 40 days where he's going to spend with God. It's the most amazing request, show me your glory. So God says, okay, well, if you go up here and you hide on this rock, I'm going to pass by. And you can see the, the back, you can see the end of the glory as it's fading because if you see it front on, you're not going to survive. And as I pass by, you will see the glory as I just say my own name out loud. Exodus 34, verse 6. And he passed by in front of Moses, proclaiming, and hear this for revelation of who God is, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That's his starter, if you like, as he's going up the mountain to spend another 40 days with God, God reveals himself as the gracious, compassionate God. His people had just turned away from him and worshipped a golden calf. And God's like, I'm gracious, I'm compassionate, I'm forgiving. And Moses spends another 40 days. Who knows what went on up that mountain? And he comes down, face shining. Moses had these two by 40 days, plus these other encounters. All the Israelites had was a set of rules. 
And if you go and read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you see the big difference between someone who's had a relationship with God and someone who's just had rules from God. They're so different, Moses and the Israelites. The Israelites complain. They grumble. They disobey. They lack faith. They live for the here and now. They're so short-sighted. They're self-absorbed. They took things into their own hands. It's because they kept at a distance from God right in the beginning. They kept at a distance. They didn't want this relationship. And it can happen to us too. They got so scared of God. Oh, he's scary. I can't go near him. But they realized they couldn't obey his rules either. And it can happen to us, friends. We, we go around the mountain scared of this God trying to live a holy life, trying to perform, trying to get his attention, trying to obey his rules without relationship. And we're so scared because if we mess up, he's going to punish us. We can be like the Israelites sometimes. And I want to say, this sounds like such a simple statement, but it's so deeply profound. Rules will never bring you close to God. Friends, rules will never bring you close to God. Never, ever, ever, ever. It's relationship and revelation. That's what draws us to Him. That's what draws us into intimacy with Him. And the result of that, what happens to us is that we, just think of the few examples we listed, we, we worship Him, we fall down, we glorify Him, we get excited, we delight in Him. This revelation engages us. Sometimes it shocks us awake. It's like we were half asleep in our following and suddenly God does something. There's like a spark again in our relationship. It changes us. It draws us closer to Him that we serve and worship Him. It's God revealing Himself. How, how do we get revelation? How can we know this God better? Anyone here want more revelation of God? Yeah? Sure, I do. It's not going to look like the guys we've just read. It's going to look different because you're different to them. It's going to be specific. It's going to be personal. It's going to be God's got my number. So number one, how can we get revelation? We have to come to Jesus. We have to come to Jesus. You see, Moses, he went up the mountain to God. He didn't just like, okay, I'm here, God. He went up the mountain to God. Nicodemus sought Jesus out. Nathaniel was brought by a friend, but he was curious the moment Jesus started speaking. The woman at the well, I guess she kind of, in her mind, just happened to bump into Jesus. Jesus went through that region on purpose, but she engaged with him. The book of Revelation, who was, uh, which was written by the Apostle John, the same John who wrote the book of John, that revelation, which is 20-something chapters long, is probably the longest vision that anyone's had written down from end to end. Incredible revelation of Jesus, right? What was John doing right at the moment that that revelation happened? You know what he was doing? He wasn't drinking coffee. <laughs> wasn't watching the rugby. You know what he was doing? He was having a quiet time. He was having his devotions. Revelation 1 verse 10, 
on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, I was being spiritual. I was worshiping. I was praying. I was meditating on God. I was thanking Him for His goodness. He was having a quiet time. The most amazing revelation for the end of time happened when John was with God, spending time with God. And friends, our personal devotions, we cannot lay too much importance on those. Our own reading of the Scripture, and not just reading, but our, our meditating on it, our weighing it up, our turning it over in our hearts and minds, our own personal worship, our own personal prayers and following of Him is so vital if we're going to have any revelation of God. And there's no, sadly, I wish I could report differently, but there's no shortcut to knowing God. There's no, oh, three quick steps to amazing revelation. You can buy them in the bookshop. There's no shortcut to knowing God. Spoiler alert. He reveals himself to those who seek him. And that's a critical point. It's why we have, we have to come to Jesus. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this, The Lord rewards those who earnestly seek him. What's the reward? 99% of the time, there's more of him. It's more of knowing him, more revelation, more understanding, more of his presence. Jeremiah 29, 13. We like the verses that go before that, hey, 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you. But then two verses later, God says, You will seek me and you will find me. Guarantee, right? When you seek me with your whole heart. <laughs> but lest we get dismayed, it's not one-sided. Over and over in Scripture, God does things without us seeking Him. He's just so good like that, right? He's just so gracious. Paul wasn't seeking God, and yet on the road to Damascus, what happened? There's this encounter with God. Those happen, I think they're the anomaly rather than the pattern. But throughout Scripture, there are invitations from God. It's not just on our part. Isaiah 55 verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. There's an invitation from the Father to come to Him. Jesus' own words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest for my soul. I'm going to reveal that I'm the great shepherd and give you rest for your soul. There's an invitation from God. You know that invitations come with a promise. Actually, many of them come with a guarantee. My two oldest kids, Ethan and Brenda, they're 10 and 8, they were both invited to a party, the same party, which doesn't often happen when you've got kids in different grades. The one goes to the one party, the other to the other one, and they've got different sets of friends. But somehow, this one friend knows them both and has invited both of them to her party on Friday coming. Now, we have a third child who's four, and so guess what we're doing on Friday? Babysitting the four-year-old. But, but my kids are so excited, the older two, because not just they're going to see their friend and go to the friend's house for a planet. It's a party. And what does a party mean for a 10-year-old? Sugar, cake, sweets, music, games, presents, dancing, good time. They are not wondering in fact, within two hours of receiving the invitation, Mom, have you sent so-and-so's mother? We coming yet? Have you sent them a message? Like, they're so excited. Why? They, there's a guarantee of what's happening. 
Who here has been to a wedding this year? Anyone been to a wedding? You get an invitation, you've been to a wedding at least, some of you. Yes, okay. You were married, of course you've been to a wedding. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but but you, you get a wedding invitation and you're excited and you go and choose clothes or you go and buy clothes. Wow, it's a big event. You're celebrating love. And marriage is an amazing story, and hopefully you know the people, and that's, the story's even richer. <laughs> Sometimes you get invited because you're like the partner of a person who knows them anyway. Um, <laughs> but normally there's, there's a great celebration. There's, there's a party. There's dancing. There's food. There's a guarantee of stuff happening when there's an invitation. Often, right? And what about God when He invites us? How much more is there a guarantee and a promise of what He's going to do for us. He's far more faithful than some earthly party. God invites us to Himself. So number one, come to Christ. And number two, lastly, we are to follow Christ. What does that mean, to follow Christ? Well, I think it can mean a lot of things. But I think in this context of knowing Jesus, the longer we follow, the more we follow, the more we learn. The more revelation, the more opportunities we have for, for knowing God. And I think the first part of this is that we have to be faithful with the revelation God's already given us. So God's already spoken to me in some way. He's given me an amazing revelation, or He's provided like He did for Abraham on the mountain, or He's whatever. God's spoken to us or done something. There's surely a response from our side to implement, to live differently, to change if he's pointing something out. So I think when we are faithful to put in practice and live in accordance with how God's dealt with us, if he sees we're faithful, he will add more. That's who God is. When we are faithful with the little, he will entrust us with greater revelation. Some of us, we like, God hasn't spoken to me in months. And I kind of half want to say, well, what did he say to you last? And have you done it? <laughs> because if you do, if he sees you faithful with the little things, right? Little things. There's no small things in God's kingdom. Why? Then he will see he can add more. So maybe for some of us today, we need to like cast our mind back. What did God say weeks or months ago? Have I done it yet? And then I think we need to take steps of faith. Go on adventures of God. Sometimes I found when I take a step of faith out my comfort zone, it's like God meets me there, like Peter walking on the water. As he steps out the boat, suddenly something happens. What revelation did Peter have? Well, God, Jesus can overcome the forces of gravity and nature. He's standing on water. And sometimes when we step out of our comfort zones, like God meets us there and we have this revelation of God. Often happens if you think back on your journey. Maybe the first time you prayed out loud in front of other people. Maybe you were so nervous to do it, but then you, you felt God's presence maybe. I don't know. The first time you shared a prophetic word or a scripture or a picture. The first time you go on a mission trip and you get to preach possibly. Like as you step out the comfort zone, like God meets you there. Go on a, I dare you, go on an adventure with God. You'll learn more about God and yourself than the actual adventure. Candace and I like to hike. And uh, once a year, we go away for like a five-day hike with a whole bunch of friends. And one of the friends who came with us the last two years is a lawyer. 
And we know her a little bit. She's more like an acquaintance than a friend. We don't see her very often. Um, but on the last two hikes, we've obviously seen her every day for five days and the whole day long. And uh, she's, she's a talkative lady. So we got to know her a whole lot better. But I was amazed thinking about this woman, who none of you know, so don't worry. She's, don't look around. She's not here. Um, I'm a word. I did not know about you, that thing. You know, like... You discover someone's character when you spend extended time with them. And it was just like this, wow, she's such a cool person. I didn't know she did that years ago. Or It was just amazing. And it's the same with God. You go on an adventure. You go do something out the ordinary for God, and God will reveal himself to you. It's in the following. But this following is, is quite difficult. It can be quite challenging because it's easy to seek God. It's easy to come to God to get some initial revelation, some big encounter early on in my spiritual career. But then the following, the building the relationship, takes weeks and months and years and decades. It's a whole lot harder to follow God consistently throughout years and years and years. And I think many people fall off the bandwagon because they, they come to this wrong conclusion, following Hey, coming to Jesus for revelation, that was good. But the following, this is hard. I've got to give up so much stuff. I heard Glendon had to lay down his favorite sport, whatever it might be. It's so difficult, it's not worth the effort. And they bail. I think for many people it's like that. And they wrongly think it's a big sacrifice to follow Jesus. It's actually not. It's a delight when you get to know God. Happy to give up stuff of this world, no problem. But many people complain, oh, it's so hard being a Christian. How, how difficult it is, I have to sacrifice, I have to do this. And the, the church still doesn't have carpets and I've given money and then they also want me to tithe. And like all this stuff, it's so hard. I've sacrificed so much. My personal life has been so inconvenienced by my faith. I've got to suffer. And I sometimes wonder, what God did you meet on the mountain? Because it's not the God that I met. Man, I delight to serve my God. Paul speaks about in Philippians the surpassing worth, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. He says, I count all things rubbish. It's a very strong word. It means like dung, but even stronger than dung. I count all things dung, rubbish, a waste, excrement for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul had this view of God and many encounters and many revelations. He's like, there's nothing worth it. The greatest prize for Paul, the greatest treasure and reward was knowing Jesus. Why? Because Paul sought him. He came to him. He followed him. He had these revelations. He went on adventures. He was faithful when God addressed something in his life. Can we stand? I'm ending now. And Could the band come up?